Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be in Dear Mandy. It's good to be with God's people. And uh, we are very, very thankful for God and for who he is and for what he's done for us as every day. Um, just every now and again, that grabs you, doesn't it? Isn't our God amazing? There's salvation he's brought, undeserved, and... Uh, there's nothing better in this world than to be a Christian, you know that? Um, I'm going to read from Philippians. We're, we're continuing in our series on Philippians and we're up to chapter 2, verse 19, but I'm actually going to start at verse 14 just uh, because I mentioned a bit of it. So Philippians 2, verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I may that I also may be cheered when I receive news from you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out to their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I come, as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, our brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also that, but not only on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to, to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honour people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Okay. How are we going with that passage? It's one of those ones where actually at first read and second read, I thought, where am I going to go with that? You know, it's all the word of God, don't you? And everything is good and rich in his word. So I'm going to pray now for that word. Father, we pray for your word to come to our hearts in the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray that it would be more than stories, that it would be more than just words upon a page, but that it would be words that come with your power 
that you would bring to us, that you would change us, transform us into the likeness of your Son and remind us again of that great gospel work. Father, I pray that through your word you would bring faith to us, whether we're believers or not. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Paul's really continuing here with what he was talking about uh, towards the start of the chapter. He was talking about working out your salvation with fear and trembling. How does the salvation that God has given you, which is a free gift, how does that work out in your life and you work with the way that that's working out in your life. Uh, I, I think I gave the example last week of if you were to get married, then the day after you get married to say, yeah, I've done that marriage thing, I've got that all sorted. I know how that works. I fully under, if you're a man, you'd say, I fully understand a woman now um, and, uh, and uh, I know how to do it. No, no, you see, you may be 100% married on your marriage day, but you spend the rest of your life working out how that works and how to best love and care and serve. You were 100% saved on the day you had faith in Jesus Christ. It was all there, it's all yours, but you will spend the rest of your life working out that salvation. Does that make sense? And one thing that Paul keeps coming back to in that is selflessness, humility, care for others, which is at the heart of the message today. But um, I want to explain a bit more uh, before we get there. So my first point is really uh, to give a bit of background. And my first point is simply this. Paul teaches us to trust in God's plans, to trust in God's will and to trust in God's sovereignty. Philippians is a really happy book. It's full of joy. Uh, It has the word joy and rejoice throughout it, but it's also got words of good cheer, gladness. It's kind of like he's full of joy the whole way through, and you can forget the fact that he's in jail. And he's actually about to face trial. And there's, there's two ways it could go in this trial. Death or freedom. Okay, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's how the trial goes. And, and, and so he's about, and he says in this, I'm just going to wait to see how it goes. <laughs> like, do I send Timothy back and Epaphroditus back now? Well, I'll wait and see how it goes because, well, if I'm dead, they might as well come home anyway. It's kind of a decision made, isn't it? If I stay alive, well, then there'll be other decisions to make. But you see, when Paul writes his letter to the Philippians... It is a personal letter. He cares about them. But actually, at the heart of his letter, he wants to know how they're going in the gospel. That's at the heart of it. And so um, Philippians had sent Epaphroditus uh, to Paul with a gift. Probably financial because you've got to support yourself in prison. I, I think that's how it works. You've got to get some money. So they've sent money to him to keep him alive so he can survive in jail. But then Epaphroditus arrives from Philippi in Rome and he's very sick. He gets very sick. In fact, so sick he just about dies. And that that kind of... Paul's really anxious about that because, hey, he's kind of come here all this way to give me a gift and then 
Uh, he gets sick and, you know, it's just, there's a whole lot of anxiety about it. But he recovers, Paul says, by the mercy of God. If, if God ever brings healing, it's by, the, by his mercy. Um, and then Paul decided, yeah, I'm going to send Epaphroditus back later and I'll send Timothy to preach the gospel and so on after I find out how the trial goes. Interesting, uh, just, just a little side note, and we keep giving these side notes. Do you notice that Paul says, I don't know how the trial's going to go? He didn't say, I'm claiming victory. Yeah? I'll tell God how this trial's going to go. Right? He did pray. Paul was always praying. But he knew that he was subject to the will of God. That might seem like a really dumb point, but it is huge. As Christians, if you want to have peace in this life, relax knowing that you are subject to the will of God and that you're not making it. You're not making the will of God. Paul didn't know if he was going to die or live, and actually that wasn't an issue to him. You see, we, 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 can be de- we will become greatly depressed and anxious and a whole lot of other stuff when we believe we know what God should do in our lives, especially with regard to sickness and health and uh, death and life. Our lives, our bodies are in God's hand and he knows what's best for us and that's good. Can you believe that? It's the Lord's will. In fact, you know Paul said so many times, and we've already gone through this in his letter, I would rather die and go home to be with the Lord than to keep living. But in the meantime, if he wants me to stay alive, I will preach the gospel and I know it will be good. The Christian life is good. The Christian future after death is even better than good. Does that make sense? But often in our lives, we don't know what God's doing. And we pray and then we wait. We wait on the wisdom of God. His wisdom is best. And waiting on the Lord's wisdom is actually living by faith. It can be one of the hardest things we do. But we entrust ourselves to him. And and people... I, 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 I can't understand, but people say, oh, you shouldn't say your will be done. You shouldn't tell God. And it's like, I can tell God, but I want his will more than anything else. It's a great prayer of faith to say your will be done when you don't know the way it's done. So Paul trusts in God's plan. He trusts in God's will. He trusts in God's sovereignty. And then he gives a command which is look to the needs of others. Um, whilst we don't know the will of God individually, we do know a command that he gives very commonly, and that is look to the needs of others. Have you heard this in the last few weeks? Yep. Consider others more important than yourself. You know, that just cuts against all of sin and all the work of the devil immediately. Because sin and the devil are saying, you're number one, you're the most important, 
look after yourself first, and so on. Yep. Paul says, look to the needs of others above yourself. That's to live as Christ. That's to live because he lived in the service of others, us, to the point of death. He said, and then he says of Timothy, he said, this is what Timothy was like, you know. For everyone looks out to his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, but you know that Timothy has proved himself <coughs> because as a son with his father, as, as, as he's been with me, he's Paul saying, he has served me with the work of the gospel. Timothy is a great Christian leader. Why? Because he looks to the needs of others. He cares about others above himself. Uh, and Paul, he cares about the Philippians, doesn't he? He really cares about... You see, one of the things I think he's most anxious about is you send Epaphroditus here and then he's heard they're in great anguish because they heard Epaphroditus is sick. He's caring about the needs of the Philippians, just their emotional needs. He cares about... He's really upset that they're really upset. Can, can you see what I'm saying? He cares about the anguish of others. There, there are some people in this world, uh, people call them narcissists, but generally it just means selfish to the core, who really don't care about other people. Paul cares about them. He feels the pain of others. And then the Philippians in the same way, had cared for Paul by sending him to Paphrodites. By the way, when we said he sent him uh, uh, 1,250Ks, that's how, long it, that's how far it took, and a bit of a boat trip across the Gulf, to bring Paul that. That's a lot of care, isn't it? You hear about someone, just imagine, put this in Dear and Bandy's context, we hear about a saint in need, uh, where would that be? About Wagga Wagga, say. And then we say, okay, we're going to pick someone, Noah. We've got some money to take to that saint in need. Off you go. Oh, sorry, not car. You're walking. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of care, isn't it? This is not just, oh, we'll, uh, can we give him some PayPal dollars or something and just send them? Uh, what, what I mean is, the Christian church looks out for others and this cost, it's costly care. And Epaphroditus nearly died because of it. And now he's going to send him home. Quick trip home, off you go. It's not going to take too long. Okay. This is what working out your salvation with fear and trembling means, living as Christ in this world, particularly towards the church, and it's actually costly. And... That's what Christian leadership looks like, as well as wearing a power suit, being very charismatic, and no, I'm joking, right? Christian leadership is not about the charisma, yeah? Christian leadership is about service, because Jesus, the Son of God, worshipped in heaven, did not come to be served, but to serve. So obviously, Christian leadership is about service. Or unless Christian leaders are going to be nothing like Jesus. And how much did he give up his life to the point of death? What is Paul talking about here? He's talking about himself serving the gospel to the point of death. Epaphroditus serving the gospel to the point of death, which is serving others. 
It's not actually all about being influential. Because when I, I love that word. We, we, we did Christian leadership courses at Bible College and they said you've got to be influencers, which really means manipulators. Okay? You've got to learn to manipulate people so they, they think like you. Christian ministry is looking to the needs of others and central to that's the gospel and I'll talk about that in a minute. But humility means <clears throat> I'm not on about myself, I'm on about others. What does that look like? Just to put a bit of meat on that bones. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, in Ephesians 5, Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he speaks in, uh, and he lists about four things. This is towards uh, about verse 17 and onwards. About four things that are about life in the Spirit. And he says this, addressing one another in psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. In other words... Talking about the things of God with one another and using the Bible, maybe even using some songs as Ned did with us this morning. Encourage one another. Then he says, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. In other words, it's all about what's going on in your heart, singing to the Lord, praise in yourself. That's about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Giving thanks to one another out of, uh, for everything. Giving thanks... To God our Father. And then this last one, this is what I, I wanted to come to. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's verse 21, chapter 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then he, he mentions a number of different relationships husbands and wives, um, uh, slaves and, work, uh, and bosses, or workers and bosses, we might put there, children and parents and so on. But he starts and he sums all them up by saying in all these relationships, submit to one another out of reverence or out of fear for Christ. What does that mean? It doesn't submit to one another. Imagine, um, imagine Jodie and I, we're husband and wife, submit to one another, right? I say, oh, no, you be the boss. And she says, oh, no, you be the boss. And I say, no, you be the boss. It's not talking about that, okay? So how do you actually submit to one another? You're submitting by... Looking and submitting to the needs of another person. It means actually knowing people, finding their needs and submitting and giving, even if it's costly, towards those needs. Towards your wife, husband, towards your children, towards the community around you. You look to the needs of others. Does that make sense? Um. And what does that look like? And what's most important in that? Well, you see, we, uh, we serve people at the old folks' home at, at St. George, uh, called Warrawee. And I can tell you there that those people are fed well. They're kept warm. We don't have to send them money for food. We don't have to give them heater. Uh, they... They have shelter, they've got really nice roof and good walls. Yep, they've got doors to keep the snakes out. Every door up there has a sign that says, keep the door shut, the snakes come in. Uh, but they have a greater need than that. Actually, they are very lonely. They feel deserted because most of them have been deserted, but we're not allowed to say that. Okay? They have great needs to look to the care, to look for what they need is to serve them by actually being with them, by spending time with them. 
Actually, loneliness is not about old folks in old folks' homes. Most people in Australia are very, very lonely. They feel left out, unloved, whatever, whether they are or not. Um, Submitting to one one of the needs of one another is to build real relationships with people, to get to know them. Uh, This might seem like a tangent, but uh, it's it's very important. Uh, I know we often say, uh, and I've said it at youth groups over the years, to teach young people how to have a conversation, because most don't know. I, most, mostly what happens is, like, and Christians are even better at it, at, at worse at it, I mean, is you see, what we think a conversation is, is asking a question and then talking about ourselves. <laughs> right? And, and with someone who is, will ask us a question and then talk about themselves. So then you get two people who tell stories about themselves, taking turns, and that's conversation. Yeah? Is that, does that sound true? If it's Christians, well then we want to make sure that I, I give my spiritual wisdom above your spiritual wisdom and my miracle story on top of your miracle story so that we both know that we're better than each other. <laughs> what we te- what to actually say to, 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 to people, young and old, go to somebody, ask them a question, follow that up with another question that builds on the first question. Hear their needs and ask another question and maybe even another one after that. And by the time you get there, you've probably gone deeper with them than anybody has in months. Because no one cares. Everybody's talking about themselves. Do you get what I'm saying? Look to the needs of others, which means when you feel like, oh, I want to tell... They just bought a Holden. I just want to tell them how bad Holdens are. They just bought a Ford. I just want to tell them... They just told me about their trip to... Kenya maybe. I want to tell you about my trip to um, um, Fiji or whatever. I want to, I'll, I'll, I'll up your conversation with one. Actually, to look to the needs to others is to care about them enough to actually listen and have a conversation with them and go deep with them because when you go deep with them, sometimes you might actually end up caring for their needs more. Okay. That's a, it's not a side issue, but you see... If you, if you read some of the stories of Jesus and the people he faced, it, it, it's amazing the story, say, of the, of the woman at the well in John 4. Jesus goes deep with a woman. He, he, he goes he enters into a deep conversation with someone who was basically worthless. And he doesn't for a second treat her like she's worthless. It's, uh, it's of incredible value. Okay. And this is to be like Christ, who, in being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being found in human likeness and the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus gave up everything, and that is how we are to be. That makes sense. Okay, oh, by the way, what I've just told you is about impossible to do unless you have the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you can't do it. You are, we, we are, the sinful nature is always selfish. We need the Holy Spirit and we need the gospel. So my third point is this. Look to the needs of others by preaching the gospel. That's cool, isn't it? 
at the heart of being a Christian and a Christian leader is looking to the needs of others and at the heart of looking to the needs of others, what people need most is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's good to care for people's emotional needs. It's good to listen to them. It's good to give them what they need. But if you were the person who's getting towards the end of their life, maybe they're dying, they do need company. They do need comfort. They might need suitable sustenance. They might need pain relief. But their greatest need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need that more than anything else. Do you understand? Because they're going to die and face judgment. And Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. They need to hear that. that does that sound obvious? Okay. Uh, the greatest needs of people is salvation in Christ. If you see a poor person and, and they need food, you give them food, you give them water, you might even help them out with somewhere to stay. But their greatest need is Jesus Christ, who said, I am the water of life. I am the bread of life. Right? He who eats and drinks from me will never hunger and thirst. And he's not talking about bread and water. The greatest need for people is the gospel. And so we should have the greatest concern to tell them about Jesus. Yep. And part of working out your salvation is learning how to speak the gospel to people in everyday life. That's Paul's greatest concern to the Philippians. How's the gospel going? He's not saying, how are you all going, so can I send you some help? He cares that they are, and he uses this phrase, standing firm in the truth of Jesus. Are they walking by faith? Are they living by the truth? That's the most important thing. Or else you're caring for people and not really caring that they go to hell. It's no small matter. Okay, uh, just a side story, and it's uh, I, I want to. I'm sort of go here. Who, who, who likes snakes? Brown snakes. Okay, we heard this story a few months ago. It's a it's a good one. It involves people who are here. Um, Ned and Steph parked at the service station, you know, down here, and they see a snake going across the road. It was heading towards Narelle's place, although we didn't know we were at Narelle at that time, did we? And, and uh, Steph tells me, there's a snake going across there. So he, he ran over and it was in the neighbour's yard and he went and borrowed a hoe and killed the snake. And then the kids said, that's true, isn't it? You kids got to have a look at it. Yep. Oh. That's, an important, that's, a, that's helping out with an important need there, killing a snake. Because snakes are dangerous. Brown snakes kill people, you know that? Especially when there's lots of kids around. But you see, I, I want to take this, I want to look at this story. There's a deeper story going on here, right? Firstly, Narelle had a need. I've put you in the story, Narelle. You had a need. And your children. Don't get bitten by a snake. Someone comes along and takes you. There is a bigger serpent chasing Narelle down and her children and all of us. He is the great serpent. He is the devil. And he actually wants to kill us all. He wants to destroy us. He has one intention that we face eternal death. You hear that? Without 
the father in agony. And that is also his fate. That's where he's going. He wants to take people with him. And this serpent is more powerful than any of us. And we have no weapons. Just picture for yourself a snake that maybe his mouth is, you know, like this big around and can, can slither at about 60 k's an hour and you're on foot. Okay, that is us before the evil one and we have nothing to fight him with. He will overcome us. But we have a saviour who is Jesus. Okay? He is the one saviour. He saves us. What does he save us from? The work of the devil. From sin, which is the work of the devil. From death, which is the punishment of God for the work of the devil. He is our saviour. He's our defender. He's our champion. He didn't come with a hope. He comes with a cross. He comes with his death. And he died for us and he died for our sins when we were powerless, when we were without hope, when we had nothing. We're told actually in scripture that Jesus, uh, basically it's like stomping on the, on the snake's head. The, the snake struck his heel. He died for the sins of the world. But he crushed the serpent's head. He killed the serpent. Okay? When he built, bore our sins on the cross. He destroyed the works of the devil. He destroyed sin. He saved us. Can you see this, that little story I've told there? That's everybody in Australia's story. Actually, it's everybody in the world. We're not just, we need a little bit of saving and we need a bit of religion and we need a bit of church. This is a life and death battle and Jesus has done something for us that we could not do. We need to trust in him and be saved because if you don't trust in Jesus, you will face eternal judgment without God. We need him. Does that make sense? It should make lots of sense. It's like, it should say, yeah, there's really important stuff and you're thinking, uh, I'm hearing this story but I'm, I'm thinking about my lunch or I'm thinking about maybe even the footy or something. I don't know. Maybe you're not those type of people. This is the most important thing in this world, you see, the salvation that's through Christ. He gives us a victory. He gives us a righteousness of the gift and um, then there's a next part to this. We're not said... We are those who comfort and support people with the gospel. Paul says this in Romans 16 verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan. You know what the next bit says? Under your feet. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. What does that mean? As we take the gospel... Of Jesus Christ, the gospel where he has defeated the devil, where he has defeated sin, where he has defeated the world. As we take that out to the world, in a sense, we're crushing Satan every time we preach the gospel. Isn't that cool? We don't want to be those who leave people in death. We actually are all should be in the in the kind of job in the, what did I say, in the business of killing snakes. 
We all got a hide, but we haven't got we got the word of God. We got the gospel. That's what we got. The gospel and knowing the gospel, it, it, this, it is vital, it's crucial, it is everything. Uh, I don't know if you heard Timothy Keller died yesterday, was it? And I, I read a thing written by his son online, and his son said, you know, as he got towards the end, he just said, It's time for me to go. Um, I just want to be with Jesus. Yeah. It's at that point there that the gospel is everything, isn't it? No, it's at every point that the gospel is everything. And we want to be with Jesus. He is everything. It's not just because we're going to be saved. It's because Jesus is everything. And so Paul said in, in the earlier I read from Philippians 2, his greatest concern is that they hold firmly to the word of God. And that word, word, is logos. And Jesus is the logos. He is the word. There is nothing more important to us that we hold firmly to the word of Jesus. Paul knew that. And Timothy and Epaphroditus, they were risking their lives, didn't they? Why were they out risking their lives for the gospel? Because out of concern for others, they wanted others to be saved. They didn't care if they lived or died, actually. Now they're all dead and they're all with Jesus. But Paul had said to live is Christ and to die is gain. How can you lose? Okay. We take part in the love and care for others, knowing that God is sovereign, knowing he knows what he's doing. And as we preach the gospel, Satan is crushed again and again because of the victory of Christ that he won once and for all. I'm going to pray. Father, your gospel is, is, it is great news for us and we are so thankful that you sent your son to die for us. We are so thankful that his concern was not himself and that he came to serve and not be served. Be praised, our Lord and God, for what you've done for us. And we give you thanks that we can know you and love you and be in a relationship with you and put you above all else. And we pray that you would give us your Holy Spirit And that your Holy Spirit would drive us to care and love and have great concern for others. And also that your Holy Spirit would drive us to proclaim Jesus. And that you would bring others to be saved in your name. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.